The Covenant Podcast exists to discuss doctrine, theology, and the biblical worldview from a covenantal Baptist perspective. We pray that this resource will be edifying to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here with my co-host, Jimmy Johnson. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS exists to provide ministerial training in the context of a confessional local church. They are, among other things, confessional, Baptist, affordable, and accessible. Accessible, excuse me. And additionally, they are recently accredited. Stay tuned for more information about that. You can learn more about CBT s at cbtseminary.org that is cbtseminary.org we have the privilege of having j ryan davidson as our special guest today um or on this episode ryan serves as the pastor of grace baptist chapel a reformed baptist congregation in hampton virginia he is married to his wife christy and they have four children including Micah, Lydia, Shafan, is that correct, Ryan? Shafan. 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 Sorry about that. And Magdalene. He holds degrees from Sanford University, the College of William and Mary, as well as the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and is currently a PhD candidate at the Free University of Amsterdam, the Netherlands. He's written a few books, including Thinking Through Anxiety, A Brief Christian Look, and welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Thanks, guys. I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, Ryan, we mentioned one of the books that you have authored. Uh, Can you introduce our listeners to the topic of anxiety? What is anxiety according to Scripture in the biblical worldview? Sure. Uh, Great question, brothers. Again, it's good to be here with you. I um, I think uh, there are a lot of things that we could say about the topic of anxiety. I think the scripture um, in so many ways, in the New Testament particularly, calls, calls us to fear not, to, to uh, not uh, fear uh, man, fear the things of the world, but to have a right fear of God. Um, I think we can also see passages that talk about casting our worries or our anxieties upon the Lord. And so there is a sense in which we could say that Anxiety is the result of sin in our own hearts and or the result of uh, the fallen nature and its effects that we have. And so while I think we don't want to stray far from saying that we as Christians need to uh, uh, repent of, of certain uh, false fears and worries, I do think because we are body and soul, sometimes our uh, our, our bodies are impacted by things as a result of the fall that can contribute to worry uh, of various types in our lives. So I guess in short, we would say that anxiety is a result of the fall, very often uh, a sinful expression in our hearts and lives, but also sometimes uh, a result of the fall in that our bodies can experience uh, types of anxiety, which I think we um want to attribute less to specific sin and more to the result of the fall. Um, So I'll leave it at that, at least at this point. Mm. 
Thank you for that answer. Um, Ryan, how does anxiety affect the Christian in particular? And why would it still affect them? And how, how would it be different for the unbeliever? Sure. Well, <clears throat> I think anxiety impacts uh, the average human being, believer or not, uh, non-believer, in similar ways. And then I think there are some differences. So I think we can tend to worry about tomorrow. Um, Jesus addresses this in, in um, the book of Matthew. I think we can tend to worry about circumstances. Uh, we can experience um, repetitive thought patterns. Uh, we can focus sinfully on things that we need not focus on. Um, but I think a key distinction is not forgetting that we are body and soul. And so Oftentimes, our anxiety is the result of sin. We do not have our focus fixed on the Lord as we ought. We fear man and we fear other things, which can tend to uh, feel like worry, uh, jitteriness, being on edge. But I think there's also the reality that we are body in addition to soul. And so sometimes we can experience anxiety as a result of other biological conditions. And I want to be clear here, brothers, I'm not saying we blame our anxiety on our bodies, but there are situations where people can have, say, thyroid issues uh, or other kinds of things, and they feel this feeling of an anxious jitteriness, and it's, it's not connected to a specific thought pattern that they're having. And I think where the distinction uh, enters in is that for a believer, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and we have uh, gospel aid in uh, our sanctification that can, um, over the course of our uh, walk with Christ, aid our uh, anxiety. We can, we can see uh, patterns change. We can grow in repenting of sinful anxieties and worries, whereas a non-believer uh, obviously is not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, uh, is not uh, walking the path of sanctification. And so they are, in a sense, separated from or cut off from uh, the gospel effects that can indeed uh, change how we are experiencing anxiety. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, that, that makes yes. sense. Yes, it does. Uh, our next question following up on that, uh, can you talk about anxiety in the context of local church ministry. Um, you mentioned a little bit how the Christian is affected by anxiety. Can involvement in the local church help us battle anxiety, and what can the church do to help parishioners battle anxiety? Sure. Um, you mentioned writing a couple of, of uh, books. Uh, one of the books, it's actually, I, I would call it a booklet that I've written um, that you mentioned uh, on the topic of anxiety, thinking through anxiety, is really trying to provide a biblical uh, overview, mainly for the person who is a believer, they're in a church, even a solid church, they find themselves regularly anxious, and just trying to think about that from a biblical perspective. How do they think about the idols of their heart, to kind of use biblical counseling language? Where might they be experiencing or uh, be going through anxiety because they've uh, idolized a false god with a little g, um, and kind of parsing that out, but then also giving them 
the resources, at least initially, to think about the fact that they are, as I mentioned earlier, body and soul, and that there are body-related issues. Um, you know, I've known certain individuals who have other health problems who experience certain kinds of worry, and we wouldn't want to just assume right away, well, that's anxiety, so it's got to be completely the result of a specific sin in your life. But considering how the fall has impacted our, our minds and our brains specifically. So I think having a robust theology of the doctrine of man is helpful. I think um, in the local church, having a focus on the ordinary means of grace, um, that when a person who is anxious is in a church that focuses on preaching, prayer, and the Lord's Supper, the sacraments, that even the anxious person is invited to come to the table of the Lord. And I think sometimes we look for aid in churches on the subjects of anxiety and depression uh, only through specific classes. We think, well, we need to have a class on anxiety. We need to have a class on depression or mental struggles. And these things can be valuable, but I think we have to be careful that we don't undermine the regular uh, ordinary means of grace as something that the Lord has promised that he will use in the life of the Christian, anxious or otherwise. I also think um, providing certain uh, theologically rich and yet open places for dialogue, whether that's a, 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 a accountability structure or small group or close friendships where a person can actually discuss the fact that they are going through uh, anxious, that they are anxious and, and to, to find a brother or sister that, um, you know, if it's, it's, it's a guy, I would suggest uh, another guy, if it's a female, uh, a female, and just kind of walking through those kinds of experiences openly, I think can be helpful as well. You had mentioned in this, this last answer, answer the ordinary means of grace. Can, can you flesh out what those are and, and what is meant by the phrase means of grace in case some of our listeners don't know exactly what that means? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the Bible speaks to the work of God in the life of the covenant member, the covenant believer. And the Lord, obviously, in his providence and in his infinite sovereignty, is able to use any means or method or mechanism to grow us in the grace which Christ has uh, uh, brought about for us in our salvation. But the Bible speaks of specific means that the Lord has said that he will use and bless when a believer comes to them in faith. Um, and so I want to make the distinction. It's not just these are things that you do, and even if you don't have faith, they magically work something. But rather, when a believer comes to these things in faith, the Lord has said that he will bless them, and they are things that are ordained of Christ. So those specifically are, the means that we're speaking of, are uh, preaching, or the ministry of the word, prayer, and the sacraments. Um, and you could find other examples of means of grace uh, in the in the scriptures, uh, perhaps fellowship or periods of uh, thanksgiving and fasting. But when we say ordinary means, when I say ordinary means, I mean the regular, ordinary things. And by the word ordinary, we don't mean that they're not special. We mean these are the regular things that we should look to. 
And uh, they are the things that, that Christ has ordained and that he has said he will use, that he will bless to uh, strengthen and increase the faith of the believer. And again, ministry of the word, prayer, and the sacraments. So uh, small groups, uh, good Christian blogs and books, coffee with a friend, you know, walking um, in uh you know, the Grand Canyon, admiring the creative work of our God. These things certainly can be used of God, but they are not uh, Christ-ordained uh, means that he has said with a promise that he will bless. And, and brothers, the, the sad part is many of our churches today in the 20th and the 21st century actually try to go to all kinds of other means while diminishing these ordinary means which Christ has actually said he will use regularly. And so that's what we mean by the ordinary means of grace. Well, I think we would all agree that the ordinary means of grace are important for every Christian and certainly for the Christian battling anxiety. Um, how should the Christian think through other things such as therapy, uh, psychology, psychiatry, and medication as it pertains specifically to anxiety? Yes, I think the Christian... Uh, should think very carefully and cautiously about them. Um, there are a lot of different views on this. And if you know anything about the Christian counseling world, there's a wide spectrum between, say, a strong biblical counseling approach all the way over to uh, what many would call uh, a separation approach that psychology and theology are distinct disciplines and you shouldn't in, uh, mix them. And I'm on the side which wants to really see a robust theological and biblical understanding of uh, fallen man and woman. And yet I do think in God's common grace, there are a few things that we can see uh, as useful from psychology and psychiatry. Let me give you an example. From psychiatry, I don't think we want to say that never should a person use medication. Uh, for certain uh, things that they're going through, whether that's schizophrenia or a, a, a strong bipolar disorder or something of that nature. Um, the problem is in our, in our culture and in our society that is increasingly godless, more and more people just assume medication is always the answer without looking at are there uh, heart level issues, gospel issues, soul and sin issues here. But psychiatry can be helpful if we borrow from it very cautiously and openly and don't assume that it is um, the you know, perfect answer in every situation. Psychology, similarly, sometimes there is uh, psychological research that can help us to understand patterns. Um, you know, cognitive psychology sometimes can be used by a biblical counselor, uh, and some would disagree with me on that, but I mean helping someone to work through thought patterns uh, but I would, I would say that we do that cautiously, not resting on psychology or psychiatry as our foundation, but resting on the Word of God as our foundation. And then when we can occasionally see in God's common grace uh, areas that might be able to be incorporated uh, carefully and cautiously, that we can do that. Now, I may have just upset half of your listeners. I'm not sure. Um, by my answer. But I think, again, I want to be clear, our theology is what informs every other discipline, not the other way around. And that's a key distinction. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to add a little bit to this to this question than what was originally sent to you. Sure, sure. Um, you've talked. Well, it's actually a completely different question, but you've talked about um a biblical doctrine of man and and how we are both body and soul. Can you flesh that out a little bit? Because it seems to inform a lot of what of what you've been saying. Yes, I, I think, um, and th- this is a long discussion, but I think um, mm-hmm. in even Reformed circles over the last 50 to 60 years and our attempt to help people in counseling, you know, you could look back to individuals like Jay Adams, uh, sort of being a pioneer uh, in many ways in, in uh, the, the past century, all the way up to our current discussions about um, how to do counseling as pastors, as Christian counselors. Uh, there have been a lot of helpful discussions, things like, you know, often we sort of take counseling out of the local church and we just sort of assume it's for the specialists. When in a lot of cases, the local church is exactly where we should be offering biblical counsel. And I, I believe that that's a necessary corrective. But one of the things that has happened is if we're not careful, we might form every issue and it kind of comes across as if it's only a spiritual issue or a soul issue. So if a person uh, is experiencing repetitive obsessive thoughts, for instance, we might want to only attach it to a soul issue like sin, right? And, And we forget that because we are sinners, the fall has impacted not only our souls, but our bodies, our our brains work in a way that is not the way that they were initially designed. Our our brains uh, are impacted by the fall. And so we can uh, point to certain uh, biological reasons why a person might have obsessive thought patterns. Now, in saying that, it doesn't mean that we just say, well, this is not a spiritual thing at all. We just need to give them medicine. It's just that we want to be careful that we don't forget that our bodies have been very intricately affected by the fall. And so we want to be careful that we don't just tell a person, hey, read this Bible verse over and over again uh, and pray and your your obsessive thoughts will go away. Um, and and that's, that's the distinction that we want to make. Now, on the other end, we want to be careful that we don't look at a person and say, well, it's, it's all body. There's, there's no sin issues here. Uh, there's, there are no uh, spiritual resources. We just got to get you to a psychologist for counseling or a psychiatrist for medicine, and um, we leave it at that. And I guess what I'm arguing for is a, a robust biblical counseling based on the Word of God that, that keeps in mind that there are going to be, in some cases, not all, but in some cases, contributions with our body. So for instance, if I'm talking to a person who's anxious, I'm going to want to know what kind of devotional life they have. How are they attending the means of grace? What do they find themselves worshiping in their hearts and in their thoughts? But I also want to know things like, hey, how are you sleeping? Are you getting any exercise? How much caffeine and sugar are you uh, taking in? You know, when's the last time you, you took a day of rest uh, from your work? Um, and, and these kinds of things. Because I, I recognize that their bodies are going to be a part of the... Uh, the situation. So, so that's kind of what I mean. There's a lot of other details that we could get into, but that's just mm-hmm. sort of a summary. 
Well, thank you. So here's the actual question we planned on asking. Um, How does the doctrine of God or theology proper help us engage with the topic of anxiety? Yeah, excellent. Um, I think uh, the London Confession of Faith has a very robust uh, chapter on the doctrine of God. And I don't have to convince you brothers of this, but we live in a day where we have... have minimized in our confessions and statements of faith um, the doctrine of God to very minimalist, you know, maybe a a statement about the Trinity. And I I think the London Confession of Faith does an excellent job of helping us to really understand who God is from the scriptures. And when we think about God, having a right understanding of God is uh, very necessary. For instance, when we think... um, that God changes, for instance, based on our actions, and we're anxious. We can tend to uh, not find uh, the biblical resource that we need, which is our God doesn't change. He doesn't shift. Um, He is uh, not uh, a God who uh, shifts in his... um, passions, if you will. And and these kinds of things, when properly understood, helps the believer to really focus on, uh, on who God is when they're worried about specific things. And so I, I mean, we could parse out specific examples, but in short, to answer your question, not only do we need a right understanding of who God has made us to be, you know, theological anthropology, the doctrine of man, but we need a, a right understanding of theology proper, the doctrine of God. Because if we have a misunderstanding of who God is, it can contribute to our thoughts being askew or being unbiblical, which for the anxious person can tend to increase certain spiritual anxieties, so to speak. Well, thank you for that. Uh, moving on to the next question. Uh, before I ask the question, I have to give my situation a little bit. I've had many in my congregation that have told me that they battle with anxiety uh, constantly. We've been working sequentially through Philippians, and obviously Paul addressed anxiety in chapter 4. I've heard multiple people tell me that they continue to be anxious even after continual rounds of prayer and uh, attempting to leave their burdens with the Lord. Actually, the phrase that they use is, they tell me that they pick their burdens back up again. What encouragement would you give to a person that's going through this situation? Well, I think it's excellent that you're looking at Philippians uh, chapter 4. Uh, I think there is great hope there. I mean, I, I would encourage, you know, if it was, a, if it was a, a whole congregation discussion, whether that's in a, a Sunday school class or a small group or a, even a sermon, it might be different than one-on-one, but if it was one-on-one, I would certainly want to know more about what particular burdens are there that they're wrestling with. I, I would ask questions about, you know, how, how they're doing in terms of sleeping and, and uh, exercise and diet and all of that. But I would really press them into the hope that we have, that the fact that the Lord and his grace even addresses our thinking, you know, Think on these things which are lovely, you know. Um, when he, he uh, condescends to us in his word and says, uh, fear not so many times, that there is, uh, yes, on the one hand, 
the need to correct our own sinful patterns by his grace through the spirit. But there's also this wonderful reality that he's a God who, in his grace and in his love, uh, promises in his covenant to keep us even while we're anxious. And so just making sure there is a robust, firm uh, understanding of what the covenant of grace, what the new covenant means for the anxious believer and how they can press forward day by day in their thinking patterns. You know, one of the things that I found that's helpful too is we live in a culture that it makes it almost impossible unless we're very deliberate to, to actually do Philippians 4. Uh, what I mean by that is, I mean, we are bombarded by so many messages. Uh, I mean, every news story includes every gory detail of every single uh, uh, attack or shooting that happens. You know, we're inundated by our phones and Twitter and Facebook. And so we're constantly just inundated by messages. And sometimes we may need to just turn those off in our lives and really rest our minds as we meditate on the truths of passages like uh, Philippians 4 or 1 Peter 3 or others. So that's, that's very simplistic, but that's at least a, a start uh, where I might go with an individual person. You know, it's not just trying to do Philippians 4. It, it may also involve taking out of, of our lives and our minds the things that are contrary to Philippians 4. Um, kind of back to the previous question. I you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I recall reading in your booklet you you actually had a section on the sovereignty of God. Um, can you parse out how the God's attribute of sovereignty um helps the anxious believer? Yes, um, it, it's an excellent question um, because I think sometimes when we when we're anxious and we're worried, when we're full of fear, the sovereignty of God um, sound it can sound negative to us because we know that God is absolutely in control of the minutest details of our lives. And so we begin to think, well, if God's sovereign and I'm worried, he, he, he could do something that causes, you know, my greatest fear could come true. But I actually think as we begin to meditate on who God is and the fact that he has promised to us unchangingly uh, his covenant mercy and love, with that as the backdrop, we then are able to see that God is absolutely sovereign over every detail. And even if the very thing that we fear comes to pass, that God is in control of it and that God is a God who for his people, will be using that for his own glory and their good. And while we won't fully be able with our finite minds to uh, understand that on this side of the new heaven and the new earth, the more that we can meditate on the fact that we're not random particles that are floating through uh, the earth, that anything could happen at any point, that everything is in the hands of our sovereign God, we begin to find comfort in our fears and worries. And so God's sovereignty is absolutely necessary uh, in the midst of understanding our own and going through our own fears and anxieties. You know, if God was not sovereign, then things could occur outside of his control 
and no one would be in control, and that's a very fearful thought. But if indeed we have, and we do, a God who is completely in control of all things and promises his love, mercy, and grace to his children, what a balm that we have, even in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Thank you. Um, Are there any other resources that you would recommend for the Christian on the subject in particular that might provide them with encouragement. We will link to to your booklet because I, I found it helpful personally. And then also just after some resource recommendations, if you would provide any extra words of encouragement to those who listen. Sure. Um, it's been a little while since I've uh, read his book, but I remember finding value in Edward Welch's book, Running Scared. Um, I can't speak to all of his books. He's a very prolific author and counselor, so I I can't speak to to all of them, but I I remember finding value in that book, and it's a a longer book than my short little booklet. Um, I think you ask rightly on the doctrine of God. Uh, One of the challenges within Christian literature is that many books, which would otherwise be helpful, sometimes don't get the doctrine of God correct. Uh, and uh, it, 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 I think it can undermine the book itself. So I'm, I'm hesitant to just list a, a lot of, of books. I also think sometimes when we're anxious, we think I need to read a book on anxiety. And that's helpful sometimes. But I think uh, a robust uh, pattern of studying the scriptures and not just studying them to, to, to think through anxiety, but just day by day going through the word with, with solid resources. Um, meditating on the attributes of God, you know, pulling off the shelf a good systematic theology and just diving in can be helpful as well. Um, you know, and then in terms of encouragement, um, I know I've, I've worked with a lot of people who have wrestled with anxiety, both inside my family, outside my family, in my own congregation, in my work as a counselor. Um, and then I've had to, to battle to, to think through my own thinking patterns. I, you know, I don't, I don't think I've ever had an extreme case of anxiety, but I have had periods of kind of low-grade worry. And, you know, it can be very uh, crippling and very paralyzing. And I think we want to remember that our sovereign God, who loves us, who sent his own son, as Romans 8 says, his very own son, to die for us, and to die for the sinful anxieties that we have. Before before we even knew him, he was working on our behalf as his covenant people, Uh, and he knows our frame, he knows that we are dust, and he knows our sinful anxieties, and he knows our anxieties that come as a result of the fallen bodies which we have, and so we can press into the glories of the gospel in the midst of our anxiety. Um, And... And and I think one of the things we have to be careful to do is not think that because we're anxious, we can't claim the hope of the gospel. That would be detrimental to say, well, I'm really wrestling with anxiety. Maybe I'm not not a Christian. Or maybe I can't really feel the comfort of the sacraments this Lord's Day that my church is is having them. I think it's actually the exact opposite. We recognize our frailty and our sinfulness and we flee to Christ 
And we don't let the fact that we're anxious keep us from hoping in the glories of Christ and the gospel. Well, we've been discussing anxiety and the Christian with J. Ryan Davidson on the Covenant Podcast. And hey, we at the Covenant Podcast love Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. And if you don't believe us, I'm a student at CBTS, and uh, Jimmy's Church is a church partner with CBTS. And this episode is brought to you by our friends at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS exists to provide a ministerial training in the context of a confessional local church. They are, among other things, confessional, Baptist, affordable, accessible, and praise the Lord, recently accredited. Stay tuned in the future for more information on CBTS. You can learn more about them at CBTS or cbtseminary.org. That is cbtseminary.org. Brother Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the Covenant Podcast to discuss anxiety in the Christian today. Oh, you're certainly welcome, brothers. I hope it's helpful, and it's been a joy to be with you guys. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. If you've enjoyed this resource, or you simply like the Covenant Podcast, head on over to our iTunes page, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are also available via Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, and Podbean. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.